Legislators discussed what needs to be done to improve distance learning for all. One big disadvantage many students face is not being able to connect with their teachers in virtual classrooms in this period of distance learning. Hi, I'm Michael Wiafe. And I'm Dimitri Oak. Welcome to PolicyWise. Although connectivity to broadband has become an increasingly important factor of our society, COVID-19 has made us even more reliant on connectivity for living our daily lives. School for many young people, including myself, working from home for professionals, telehealth for those in areas with less healthcare available, let alone in informed citizenry. Miles from the heart of Silicon Valley, where some have no internet at all. I'm trying to get the inability to get students online is creating a digital divide. Digital divide. The digital divide. Digital divide. The phrase gained traction after a photo of two kids outside a Taco Bell that some have to go to just to get online. We have populations in California with limited access or no access at all to the internet that we all rely on, particularly low-income and underserved communities, rural communities, and communities of color having some of the largest challenges with accessing broadband, among others. And COVID-19 has further exacerbated this issue. Luckily, today we have some incredible public servants dedicated to addressing these issues, Sunny Wright McPeak and Prince Ogidibe. Sunny is the president and CEO of the California Emerging Technology Fund that works to close the digital divide in California. Thank you, Demi. Uh, we at the California Emerging Technology Fund have a mission assigned to us by the California Public Utilities Commission to close the digital divide in California. Uh, CETF is a very unusual organization in the country in that we were directed to be established by regulators out of corporate mergers in 2005, but we are a statewide nonprofit that legally by state statute have to report annually to the legislature through the CPUC, but the California Public Utilities Commission has no other say in our operation. So a pretty unique organizational structure. And we are so delighted to be here on PolicyWise to join you and Prince in a conversation. Thank you so much, Sunny. Prince, um, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, well, my name is Prince Ogidipe and I um, I'm from Nigeria, as I stated earlier. Um, I moved here in 2010 and have been going to school here ever since. Um, graduating um, from Cal State San Bernardino in 2019 um, with a degree in biological psychology and communications. Um, now I have a new goal of you know, attending law school one day. Currently I work for the, our new majority leader, um, Eloise Gomez Reyes, so it's been a great opportunity. I, um, in charge, I'm in charge of issues such as housing, homelessness, poverty, um, faith-based, and also arts, and most importantly, um, senior citizens. So it's been a, it's been a great honor so far, just um, working for the community. Um, it's everything that my heart um, kind of tells me to do. So um, I'm really happy to be in this field right now. Well, you both have incredible, incredible backgrounds and are so modest, but that's okay. Um, we, we appreciate the humility with all of the things that both of you have accomplished. Um, and we're so excited to have you both here for the conversation. So as we know, we're, we're here talking about broadband and connectivity. Um, and it is extremely important to our daily lives. We're doing this 
through it. I don't know life without it completely, honestly. And I think um, a lot of those in our generation, especially those who are younger than I, um, have lived their daily lives connected to the internet and probably don't know life without it as well. Um, so, Sunny, this has been top of mind for some of our highest elected officials. President-elect Biden has a plan to address this challenge. Governor Newsom signed an executive order just a few months ago in order to, to, to push closer to closing the digital divide. Today, I want to talk to you about distance learning. You know, the California Emerging Technology Fund, when established in 2005 by the California Public Utilities Commission, was given this very broad mission, go close the digital divide. The issues of equity, the issues of access and availability of laptops, computers, uh, screens, uh, issues of connectivity as it relates to internet, broadband, all of those issues, vexing, uh, even on the natural. In fact, what they really said is bridge the digital divide. And from the very beginning, we threw that word out and said it actually has to be closed. Uh, under the circumstances, made more acute and more foundational in terms of our ability to not just promote the promise of education during this time, but to actually deliver on it. In the sense of we've got to get everybody uh, the same opportunity to participate in the digital world, in the digital economy. Two weeks ago, a survey of parents found that 50% of low-income families and 42% of families of color in California are worried about distance learning because they don't have a personal device at home. We have always called digital access, a 21st century civil right. I want to start there because that's where we finally, I think, are having the appropriate conversation in this country. Uh, but we're going to need to quadruple that on what we're doing in order to get where we ultimately all need, we uh, recognize where we need to go. What we know in California, which is true also across the nation, but more emphasized, more highlighted here because we have a younger population and a poorer population than any other state and we're the most populous. So 40 million people and 22% are digitally disadvantaged. 12% are not online at home at all, either because they're in rural remote areas, including our 109 federally recognized tribes, mm. or they live in uh, high poverty, urban neighborhoods and also don't have access. Another 10% have access only by a smartphone. And uh, while I appreciate the marvelous technology that smartphones and, and mobile technology gives us, it's really hard to do a term paper or a Excel spreadsheet on a smartphone with all due respect to that technology. And so uh, what, what the digital world has brought us is a widening disparity between the haves and the have-nots, with those who are not online being left behind at an accelerating pace. So if there is a, uh, an edge to my voice and a sadness, it is that um, when I got to go to college and be the first in my, my family to graduate, I actually thought that we would tackle things such as poverty, that there would be uh, a, a, a realization in my lifetime of narrowing the wealth gap, and exactly the opposite has happened. We are farther apart in just economic equity 
let alone all other opportunities than when I graduated from college. So that's where the, the perspective of the, of the California Emerging Technology Fund comes from. Uh, as you have noted, uh, you, Michael and Demi, uh, we're, we have this unique opportunity because the COVID-19 pandemic absolutely spotlighted not just the digital divide, but we say uh, illuminated a digital cliff a digital cliff where we've got more and more people falling off into deeper poverty, greater isolation. And if this is not the time for a call to action around digital equity as a 21st century uh, civil right, as, as John Robert Lewis noted, as uh, has now been recognized by the president-elect and Governor Newsom uh, a year ago called for broadband for all. And so I think we're at that that tipping point. Well, exactly. And thank you, Sunny, for, for outlining that for us. Um, we, we definitely feel it differently as a generation, I, I, I think. And the digital divide is especially, you know, I my dad actually told me the story um, just a week ago uh, back when I was home. And he was talking about how, how we brought the first computer home. And I was probably like five or six years old. Um, and we used computers at school. And he said the first time brought a computer home. Um, he was really proud of it. I guess spent a lot of money on it. Um, and he said, within a week, the first thing I said to him is, it's too slow. <laughs> and he was looking at me like, what are you talking about? This is the fastest computer I've ever used. And so, because I was used to computers at school, I, I thought that the computer at home was far too slow. Um, <laughs> but before we dive into topics a little bit deeper, Prince, would you like to tell us how, how this issue, how, how do you see this issue and how do you, how do you see it affecting um, some of your peers in, in your community? Absolutely. Um, you know, well, for, first of all, my, my experience with all things computers and broadband um, really only started when I moved to the, uh, to the U.S. So that was, um, that's another um, kind of um, um, frame of reference that I come with. Mm -hmm. um, I come, come with not having that experience to having it and then to also um, being a part of, you know, those people that, you know, are kind of uh, facing that difficulty of the, uh, the digital divide. So. Um, first things first, you know, just, um, I remember, I remember growing up and there's this curiosity as a kid that you have to want to know something. So the simplest thing to do would be just Google it. Now I realized that the idea of just Google it did not become a thing for me until about maybe 2012. And I moved here in 20, 2010. Before that, if I ever got curious about anything, um, maybe I would ask an adult and then that's about it. So when I got this idea of just Google it and, um, you know, I would do that, I would find so much, so much stuff. That's how I got, uh, you know, learned all these things about America. And then, um, you know, you go to school and now you're supposed to do research and things like that. Then I realized that um, I can only do my research at school because if I go home, there's no research to be done. There's no possible way to do it. So um, that was my first um, kind of glance into the, into the fact that, okay, maybe technologically, we might be starving. Um, <laughs> so um, moving forward, um, as I got older and then got more involved in school, I then realized that there was um, the, the idea of broadband and everything. It, it also poses a, a big threat um, slash crutch to education in itself. Um, education was a very, something that was very important to me. But for um, something like connectivity and the internet, 
to be the reason why a student does not get the proper education that they deserve. Um, and it's not that they just want to get a handout. They actually are looking to earn this education. And so it, it, it became concerning for me. So um, as I moved forward, I, I started to realize that that was, that was an issue that I needed to um, bring highlights to. And then I saw disparities um, between communities um, and for something as simple as just connecting to the internet. Um, and, and, I, and that's where it struck me the most. And then at some point I realized that it was in fact an intergenerational issue. All of us are, um, we're, we're supposed to come together to fight this, um, the, to fight this uh, divide that we, uh, and close that gap. So at my, at my um, job currently, um, I, I told you how I, I work with uh, seniors a lot of times. So when I speak to seniors, um, there'll be some things like, okay, I'll be like, oh, let me email you this form. Um, and then you can just fill it out and send it right back to me. Well, some, th that possibility is not there. Um, and, you know, so then I see how, okay, if that possibility is not there, then I'm kind of having to, maybe I got to mail it or maybe I got to physically deliver that. So now it, it literally affects the amount of your time that, you know, that we barely even have. So that's where I started seeing how, this issue of digital divide is affecting lives every single day by the minute. Um, and so that, that, that's kind of where uh, my background in the issue comes. So um, Michael has been so um, amazing to include me in conversations um, uh, revolving around broadband and things like that. So it, it's definitely very nice to now um, be a part of um, potentially that solution. Um, and so that's, that's where I, I, I will leave um, my opening statements for the time being mentioning like the oh yeah like I'll just I'll just google it factor I like was thinking about, I was thinking about that this morning because I was I'm really interested in like education policy and I was thinking about you know we have like our formal education but we also have you know all these forms of informal ways that we learn things and I, I was thinking like I was really like just raised on google like any any job that I've ever gotten, anything I've ever applied for had come in the form of first, like, how, okay, how to write a like cover letter, how to write, a, how to do a resume, you know, how to email someone and look somewhat professional. All of that is just purely from the internet. And it's such like a stepping stone. And I think we've talked about it a little bit, but just internet and, and Sunny, I would love for, to hear your comments on it. But I think the interesting thing is for internet as being like a human, you know, human right, is that it's not just like having access to the internet because of it's the internet, but it really perpetuates all these access to so many more things. Um, so I was wondering if you could comment on that as it being not just like an end, but also means to so many other ends, um, as well as maybe how, you know, we've, we talked about how this is really hitting hard um, in communities that are typically underserved um, and how maybe have your priorities changed at all since the COVID pandemic hit and are you putting more attention towards um, older folks as Prince has talked about as well? Thank you, Demi. We are so right about uh, how we even use terms such as Google, uh, you know, that a name of a company that actually they, they ended up with that name as a misnomer for a number and it is now a verb for what everybody uses as a generic term to uh, use a search engine. Uh, for the internet, right? Uh, a similar term is Zoom, uh, where there are multiple uh, video conferencing platforms. But you know, yeah, Eric Yuan, who is the founder of Zoom, is a is 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 a genius in terms of how he has actually evolved that company. 
Um, he came out of Cisco that still has WebEx and they're, they're a little uh, jealous about all of that. So I, I just comment on even the evolution of our, of our terms, right? And so uh, for CETF, our priorities have always been on the digitally disadvantaged and we have always uh, looked at uh, the data that drives what populations we serve and how we focus. So seniors have always been a part of the digitally disadvantaged. I will say that all the data shows that that real demarcation is now those who are 75 and older. So people have, we've all aged in place and, and but it's 75 and over. And of those, if it's only about 1% of the California population when they're asked, do you wanna be online says, no, I don't care about it. Um, and they tend to be uh, those who are uh, older. And as soon as you tell them, that's the way you're gonna remain in your home uh, and not have to be in another facility because your healthcare can be monitored. They wanna be online immediately. And that's what Prince is finding out working for assembly member Reyes uh, because we immediately in the middle of March of 2020, we're told stay home. So now we're visiting doctors with, uh, with telehealth, which unfortunately still for so many is just a telephone call or a, a smartphone as opposed to other, other devices. So uh, the policy that we're pursuing now, uh, Demi, and doing a lot of work around expect to be uh, sponsoring legislation on telehealth in California in this new session would uh, allow Medi-Cal and Medicare covered California, all the health plans to provide a device to seniors because it is a far more um, uh, cost-effective way to deliver health care. And by the way, broadband is a green strategy. When I was secretary of a pretty large agency for the state of California, business, transportation, and housing, first of all, I was sort of on that edge of telling everybody that uh, transportation and housing are related folks. And if we want to reduce impacts on the environment, we actually have to have more housing where people are and jobs are and all of that. And also I was talking about broadband as a strategy for mobility. And I would say to my uh, colleagues at the California Department of Transportation, the best trip is a virtual trip. If I can get someone to do a virtual trip, I've unloaded a trip from the surface transportation system, which reduces congestion and I have a decrease in imp impact on the environment. And so for seniors, we know the combat, and for all of us actually, there has to be a combination of um, online communications that are efficient and in-person interaction. And that is what all the healthcare plans say. So that's where we're gonna go for seniors. So we're emphasizing more of some of the solutions that have become obvious during the pandemic, but we haven't taken our, our eyes off of those who live in very low income neighborhoods and those who live in rural remote. And what we also have found that nobody anticipated um, at least I have not found someone who said they engineered the state uh, network of, uh, of fiber and internet connections to have 13 million households online simultaneously. Mm. So that reality of everybody needing to communicate from their home online at the same time with multiple people, three, four, five folks, some of, you know, two or three of them are students, 
who are trying to do uh, distance learning, uh, all, all talking at the same time has uh, befuddled uh, the technology networks uh, because it matters what is your end user technology uh, is it a hard connection? Is it a wireless connection? How many people are in that neighborhood online simultaneously in the loop? All of that has to be rethought, which is why we focus on that the policy of the state of California has to be to build a network, fiber middle mile and last mile speeds that are sufficient at any point in time to support distance learning and telehealth. And that the obligation when a company accepts a, a public subsidy to build is that they continuously upgrade to meet that standard of speed. Thank you, Sunny, for, for outlining that. I do have a question for both of you. And so, Sunny, you mentioned, I, I think it was 109. I did write it down. Yes, okay, 109. Federally recognized tribes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt just to say, so just appreciate the population of California that is more diverse yep. than any other state. California has more Native Americans. They, most of them live in urban areas, although they'll have a cultural connection to uh, their tribe. And um, Prince works for Assemblymember Eloise in the Inland Empire. We've got very large uh, reservations, um, Morongo, Saboba, uh, you know, to, to just mention, but they're all throughout the state. And um, we have more Native Americans in California than the population of Alaska. So almost 700,000 Native Americans. So just put that in perspective. When we started the California Emerging Technology Fund, there were more residents offline, 13 million Californians than lived in the state of Illinois from which our president came. And we were very, very happy that we finally had a president who could spell broadband. So, you know, President Obama uh, gets elected and Rahm Emanuel, his chief of staff, goes on talk shows and mentions broadband three times. You know, I'm thinking like, oh, this is the second coming. We're actually, here's our time. And there was a lot of, of pioneering work done. And then we had four years of absolute, I did made no trips to DC in the last four years, because it was not worth my time. But we did build here. And a part of that is we've done many, many uh, what are called consultations with the tribes that are sovereign nations, uh, asking, do you want to be connected? And what has e evolved over the last 10, 12 years is unanimity with more and more tribal leaders recognizing that the connectivity is a way to preserve culture and connections to their relatives, their members who live in urban areas, they go there for jobs, um, they go there for school. And so we are uh, very fortunate, I think, to have a, an extraordinary um, number of tribal leaders in California who, again, are on that cutting edge for the nation. And uh, part of our commitment in terms of funding for broadband legislation is to say we must get all tribal lands, all tribal uh, organizations in California connected if that is their choice. And Sunny, so far, are they... Are 
are they choosing to to opt in or or is, they is are. That- no no yes michael they are uh, there's i've never met a tribal leader because of course if they're coming to talk with me they want to be online i mean it's <laughs> almost like it's a self-selecting process but i i will tell you that uh, for the reasons that i just said uh because it's so important to preserving culture um as a way of connecting to um um their relatives and, and and their friends and the tribal members that they want to be online the federal government makes it almost uh as difficult as possible to to be an applicant uh, most of us could not begin to figure out how to fill out an application for federal uh monies you know uh, and and the tribal, the tribal uh, organizations are often required to do that separately, as opposed to uh, a, apply, uh, you know, as a as a, a coalition or a consortium. Uh, mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. So they do want to. What here is what I want to actually probe with all of you and Prince. The the notion of what is the role in the public sector of reaching out. I think it needs to be far more proactive. The Public Utilities Commission runs the California Advanced Services Fund, but they do it as almost a passive grant program as opposed to here's a pot of money that the legislature is going to allocate or appropriate, authorize, and you have to go out and actually get the folks to apply, to decide where the infrastructure is. Uh, Demi, you also mentioned it's not just infrastructure. Um, you know, broadband is a tool, only a tool. It's a very powerful tool and an empowering tool. But the end game is not the technology itself. It is to enable education. It is to enable workforce training. It is to enable participation in the democracy. It is a tool that has to be integrated into all of our strategies to tackle inequities. So, uh, and that, that applies to the tribal nations are very, the leaders are very smart. They see that as well. Uh, we right now, I'll just stand and then and pass it back to you, Prince, um, are a partner with Frontier Communications. So um, another little comment about uh, my naivete is I have, have always thought, well, if we just do a good job, people will want to invest. They'll want to partner with us. That if we show how to get people online, that the internet service providers are going to start throwing money at us. Well, I went for about five years having lots of nice meetings, having lots of, of conversations, even convened by the governor's office, and we didn't get any movement. So then I thought, well, I have to get smarter and um and get their attention when it matters, which is when they're buying each other, when corporate consolidations are happening, uh, when um, uh, Comcast is trying to buy Time Warner Cable, which they in the end abandoned, then Charter buys Time Warner Cable. Uh, Verizon sold their wireline business to Frontier. T-Mobile just bought Sprint. Okay, being a legal party in the regulatory arena, which is about as arcane and archaic a process as I can imagine, uh, and not where I wanted to spend my time or the resources of CUTF, but that became an imperative. We negotiated public benefits, public benefits that... In California, you have to show that the public is going to benefit through mergers and acquisitions. So we negotiated memoranda of understanding with Charter. Uh, They have committed to um, a a significant amount of deployment before that frontier. And frontier included 50,000 Chromebooks. And we uh, have distributed about half of them in through the MOU. Well, it's frontier's leadership 
that has said, let's just distribute the rest of them now. And I want to tell you, it's no small undertaking to work through what are the school districts and the schools that are in the frontier service area that have a very high percentage of students on free and reduced lunch, which is the, the criterion, and then to uh, negotiate with the districts an agreement of a pivot to the future because throwing technology at any problem is not going to solve it. It has to be a lever to actually get to a different way of doing business. And so we were not sure that a lot of districts would wanna sign an agreement with us that says, you're gonna make technology a core part of what you do in school. Not only that, you're gonna train all the parents. You're going to uh, you know, really use the technology and teaching and learning, and that's the agreements we have. And so we have now reached out to all the tribal organizations that are either in the frontier service area, because you have to be in the frontier service area to, to benefit from the frontier public benefit, or next to it, and uh, we're about to, dis we've distributed 800 to the Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association. They identified their students that needed to have a device at home. Most of them do not go to schools on tribal lands. They go to other schools, but they are either connected to or reside on, on tribal lands. And um, our, our team led by our, our senior vice president, Susan Walters, has just identified another 4,000 to be distributed. So our goal, if anybody is listening to policy-wise, and um, you are a member of a tribe that is in frontier territory uh, or next to frontier territory, you can get a hold of CETF because we're distributing com computers because you have to, and training people. You know, um, I, I, nobody's going to pay for internet service or have a, a device if they don't know how to use it, right? So Absolutely. that's my my uh, pitch to uh, call, again, uh, people who need a, a device and member of a tribe in, a, in frontier a service territory get a hold of us. Well, I'm so glad that you, you're you doing this work uh, and that you're so committed to it because, you know, as you kind of outlined that, I, I think an opt-in process is a lot more challenging to get a, a broad array of participation than an opt-out process. Correct. And and so, you know, that, that would be my view on the topic is it, it would be much better as an opt-out, just, hey, we're going to do it for you unless you tell us not to, um, recognizing that it's a public good and that, you know, it benefits me if more people are online. Um, there's more information available. There's there's just more diversity online, um, you know, so whether it's social media or articles that I can find. I'd be interested to know what's going on in some areas that I've never visited. And if they're not online, then what are the chances that I'll be able to find information about them online um, or be able to connect and, and have kind of a broader society? And kind of to that end, Prince, I, I want to ask you is we're, we're, we're the same age. Um, and so you kind of realized how, how impactful central critical social media is to our lives nowadays mm -hmm. in fact it's probably probably the only way i connect with my friends nowadays yeah. um <laughs> in fact that's how i keep up with everybody go on instagram go on twitter um, go on facebook and and how i get a lot of my information um and so this this lack of broadband that especially young people face um you know i i, I think that it's it's almost like a double-edged sword because if, if you're on it all day, you know, there's, there's research that's been done that, that it could be detrimental to your mental health. At the same time, I think during, during the pandemic, if I was 15 
and didn't have connection to social media, I'd be I'd be going somewhat insane. Um, <laughs> knowing that all my friends are online, I wouldn't be able to keep up. I wouldn't have anyone to talk to. And so how do you how do you see this this issue playing out, um, especially for young people and in, in thinking about social media? Absolutely. So I'm going to borrow a few words from um, Sunny, and, and I'm only paraphrasing here. She said broadband is a ticket to active participation in education, the economy, and even our democracy. That was that was very important for me. Now, the reason why I say this is just imagine a house with no door, uh, with no doorknobs. There are tons of doors, no doorknobs. But the only way you can get through those doors is by actually using one of the doorknobs. Um, you cannot. That's what broadband um, does for us. Broadband allows us to be able to participate in things that we otherwise would be too young to participate in. For example, um, these, I mean, these past elections and just this election cycle, for the first time, looking through social media, just seeing the amount of engagement, these are young people being actively talking about just everything going on in the country. For the first time ever, I got to see that. I got to see even the smallest things go viral, the fly on Mike Pence's head, um, things like that, that got people even more and more interested in um, in the conversations and things like that. They say social media is the biggest thing since um, sliced bread. Anything that we put on social media has that opportunity to even reach more and more. So at this time, at this case in point in time, broadband literally serves, I, I, I don't even know what to compare it to at this point. Um, it, it, it's that much more impactful in our lives um, in this day and age. Um, it gives us opportunity to actually learn, even with schools being closed out and everything. Um, we had a we had something that we um, for our young leaders um, advisory council. Um, there was we did a presentation and there was a picture that we um, ended up using. And in that picture was it was a picture of two girls um, sitting outside of a, a Taco Bell and they had laptops on their on their laps and they were working on homework um, for their classes. Now imagine leaving the comfort of your home um, to go to as a little kid to go sit outside a, a, a restaurant just so you can be able to participate in education that's potentially going to change your life. And, and so it's things like that that just kind of like, it bothers me. It, it just, I wish I could do something about it, just like snap and everything is done. But that's that's the world we face today. So in order for us to continue being um, a part of that um, change, this social media ge generation, it's... Um, we've seen the impact that it is done in terms of organizing, in terms of mobilizing, in terms of protesting against um, injustices that we see. Um, it's become our way of kind of being almost civil rights leaders in, in a sense. The, the, the social media civil rights generation it is just a simple thing as a hashtag. You will remember that for, for a really, really long time. So, and that's why this is something that must be fixed. If we want to continue having um, young people on board for many different things. This is the way to go. Young people, social media is that tool that we um, use to stay connected. Even in the classroom, um, social media allows us to connect with um, our, our fellow classmates, even professors and things like that. So I always find a, a chance to incorporate social media into um, literally anything that I do, whether it be religious, whether it be um, educational, whether it be political, whatever it is, social media always serves as that tool for where we could actually share our thoughts and stuff like that. Um, what we're doing right now, um, social media will be responsible for disseminating this information. Oh, yeah. And so more and more, I just see 
even more an importance in, in having that. The goal of equity is to, is to not pass up the other sense or, um, or give more to others. Rather, it's to level the playing field for everybody. I think everybody deserves in this world to, to be connected um, somehow. And so that, that's just where I stand on it. I think um, our social media generation is, I mean, we've been told time and time again that we are the future. We are the ones that are going to fix everything um, for our world and also for those to come. So this is why we need our tool. Um, social media is our tool. Broadband allows that tool to, to um, function. We need that to be fully functional so that we can continue to progress. Yes, social media has its detrimental effects, um, but that is not the conversation right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I think this this past summer, no, let me start off by saying that I've been engaged politically since 2015. That's when I, that's when I'll say that was like my political start um, to, to knowing what was going on. I used to post about it and all my friends used to be like, stop posting about it. Nobody wants to see this on their social media. Now in 2020, people are like, please, please keep going. We need to know what's going on. We need to be able to share this information, especially what was happening um, with civil unrest this past year in 2020. I, you know, I, I think um, Prince, you might know kind of what I'm talking about here, but I see kind of a lot of police brutality on my social media. It's, that's been common for years. That's not, it's not anything new to me. So when I first saw the George Floyd video, I honestly scrolled right past it. I said, here's another, right? It's another, it's another day. This is something that's been happening in our community for quite a while. Little did I know that two days later, it would be headlines everywhere, everybody posting about it. I was sitting there like, I see this kind of all the time. And so I think, you know, 2020 was a, a year where everybody's kind of frustrations hit the wall. I right, think right. things that have been happening for so long just kind of all culminated mm -hmm. in one moment where everybody was stuck at home with their phones on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, all those social medias for multiple times a day. And were able to share that information. And for the, you know, for one of the first times, the whole nation cared. Right. Because everybody was connected. Everybody was there. This is at a point where most people, more people than ever before are on social media, getting their information online and connecting. And I think that that made such a big difference. Um, and I think that's going to be one of the most consequential kind of moments of um, what the pandemic did. You know, the past four years, all of these things all, all kind of came up. And I think broadband more than ever is going to be extremely critical to, to what's happening moving forward. Absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to I wanted to add just something real quick. Um, you know, I, I remember mentioning earlier um, my origins from Nigeria and not having technology, uh, that kind of connectivity and, and internet and things like that. So fast forward to, to 2020, um, we had um, in Nigeria, I know they were going through the NSARS movement and um, um, this uh, special um, robbery units uh, attacking um, young people, you know, for being hip and um, to technology and things like that. And so even those would be issues that I would have never heard about. Uh, and mind you, back in my time back there, 10 years ago, we used to not even have the type of stuff to get online. So fast forward 10 years later, being able to actually see these things happen and add to the awareness, um, it just shows you where the world is going and that this broadband route, it keeps us, as much as it's had its detrimental effects to uh, behaviors and things like that, it's bringing out almost the best in us. Um, it's making us care about things that we usually would not care about the Australia fires. Where where else would we have ever known that there was fires going on in Australia? The connectivity in the world that it really does for all of us, I think, is something that everybody deserves to partake in. Definitely, thank you for anyone who's listening right now. What is something that you know they can be doing to support um, more access to the internet for all? 
as Prince said, a civil, you know, it is a civil right. And so it is getting the infrastructure uh, absolutely invested in because people can't get online. We do not have adequate infrastructure and also the funding to ensure that they have the, the digital uh, literacy and the devices to do so. So that, that is uh, for us at, at the federal level, we're calling for a hundred billion dollars. Mignon Clyburn, who served as a, a member of the Federal Communications Commission and was interim chair when they actually started tackling poverty. Her father, um, Representative Clyburn from South Carolina is, uh, you know, has really called the tune in terms of who's gonna be the next president and is pushing for uh, a, a major investment in this, in this field and wants to close the digital divide and, and Governor Newsom and the legislature were saying, you better put up about 7 billion and identify it now and then say, we're going to incorporate digital equity in everything that we do. That is why CETF is actually uh, promoting launching a call to action through a digital equity bill of rights. And that is at least a call to action that um, we can do collectively to raise up this notion through social media that it is time over for what has become um, another manifestation of the economic divide. That's what the digital divide is, simply another manifestation of the economic divide rooted in systemic racism. And if we do not just make it very clear, we uh, who are a little older than the rest of you young leaders are not yet kicking ourselves to the side. So we're not gonna put it all on your shoulders, but we're going to ask you to join shoulder to shoulder in this cause for digital equity. To, to close, um, I, I just wanna leave y'all with this. Um, advancing um, broadband is truly an intergenerational effort. In closing the di digital divide, we open up the doors to a future, to an equitable future for people to participate actively in our, in our economy and also our democracy. So let's continue um, that fight. Well, thank you, Prince. Uh, and thank you, Sunny and, and uh, Nadine also from CETF for, for joining in and telling us about the, the Bill of Rights, you know, the, the, the Digital Equity Bill of Rights. Uh, I was thinking about it earlier uh, as Prince, you were trying to think of um, something to compare the internet to. I think it's, I think it's the 21st century light bulb. Um, and, you know, I, uh, a few weeks ago, actually right before the, the California Economic Summit, um, the, the Wi-Fi went out at my house. And first the power went out for just a few minutes, but then it was the Wi-Fi that couldn't come back. And when I tell you that I didn't care about lights, <laughs> I, w I wanted the Wi-Fi back. Like I can sit in my room in the dark. As long as I have my, my internet, I'd be fine. And so I think, I think it's a, you know, kind of the 21st century light bulb, kind of something that we need in every house. And, and if you don't have it, then, then you, you serve as kind of a clear disadvantage um, to, to doing certain things at night. But. Thank you all for joining us. And Demi, would you like to have the, the last word? Sure. Um, this has been great. Um, thank you. Thank you all so much for being here. And um, just really insightful and a really great conversation that I think it's one of those things that you maybe just don't even think that like policy can have any control over. Um, but then you realize it's like one of the most important things. And I'm, I'm just really, really grateful uh, to, to get to listen from all of you and to have this conversation. And um, I'm also excited to hear back from the listeners on, on what they think and um, hopefully get some more people signed up and, and get some 
good infrastructure out there. Let's see what happens. Thank you all so much. If you are ready to, to join us at CETF, please visit internetforallnow.org where you can sign up for the Digital Equity Bill of Rights, which will then also sign you up for updates on our end on policy actions and steps that you can take with us. This was a podcast recording of PolicyWise. Where are your hosts, Michael and Demi? PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Ford and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Jared Amonos produced this episode and the music was created by Ian Post and sourced from artistlist.io. If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org and be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussion with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion on PolicyWise.